Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want to share with you the second in a three-part series on healing heart wounds. So if you have your Bible, turn with me please to the book of Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 7. It's going to be our springboard scripture here today. Today we're going to talk specifically. Now last, the last time we talked about rejection, heart, the heart wound of rejection and how the, the Bible said that Jesus was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. And so we see where Jesus suffered rejection and Jesus modeled how to handle that. And so we talked a little bit about that. Today, I want to talk about grief and loss, heart wounds. Sometimes we grieve. There's many, many reasons why we grieve. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to be able to effectively communicate your word today. Thank you for everyone that has gathered here today to worship you and to bless you and to learn from you. I pray, Lord, that you would use me as your servant to speak to these people I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 7, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. I want to talk to you today about healing heart wounds, grief, and loss. Sometimes I repeat it for the tape, okay? Grief. The pain of mind, this is the definition of grief from the Webster's. It's the pain of mind produced by loss, misfortune, injury, or evils of any kind. It, it can also be interpreted as sorrow or regret. We experience grief a lot for, from a lot of things. When we lose a friend, when we incur loss, when we have the death of a loved one, when we lose a job, sometimes people lose their standard of living that they're used to when they lose that job. Loss of health can cause grief. The loss of a limb can cause grief. Divorce can cause grief. Abandonment by a family member, maybe when a child leaves home too early and you know that. Uh, betrayal. Betrayal is another way. Desertion. Bankruptcy can bring grief. Foreclosure, repossessions, those types of things can bring grief. The loss of things that you don't have but that you thought was imminent many times will bring grief into our life. In our first church, we were pastoring in Cape Girardeau, Missouri in the early 90s, 1993. And uh, we went to this nice little community, about 30,000, 35,000 people. When the kids are in, it's the home of Southeastern Missouri University. And so we went there to this little storefront church and uh, God grew the church and we were able to purchase an old Methodist church on a different side of town. During that time, there was a young man that uh, was attracted to the church. Actually, I think he may have been part of the church, an extended family member of the church before we got there. His name was Richie. Richie was a wonderful young man. He was about 17 years old. He was going to high school. Susie was about two years old and he would always pick her up and carry her around and tell her he was going to wait on her. I mean, he just, 
It was, and, and, he was, and he had a wonderful personality. I told this at his funeral, so you know he died. I told, told them at his funeral, there's about 700 at his funeral. They shut the school down, the high school down, because this kid was so loved. And um, I told him, I said, you know, Richie invited us out for dinner. And I told him, I said, Richie, you can't afford to feed my family. He said, oh, sure I can, sure I can. I got me a new job and I got my first paycheck. And so we went to this Mexican restaurant and uh, we got up there to pay. And he looked at the ticket and said, hmm, and turned around and just handed it to me. <laughs> that was Richie's personality. He had Graves' disease. He had these big, beautiful eyes. Graves' disease. One uh, Sunday night, his father and him were sitting on the couch, and his father said, well, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go use the restroom, and then I'm going to go to bed. And Richie said, okay. He said, I want to finish watching the news because I want to see what happened with the sports and whatnot. So his father went into the restroom to use the restroom, came out, was walking back through the living room, looked over at Richie, and he realized that Richie wasn't moving. Richie's heart had stopped. Richie died. The ensuing days, that was my first funeral as a pastor. The ensuing days, now our church is much larger here than it was there, but Donna and I went, went down and of course they took him and they put him on life support and they tried to make, make it work, but it just actually what they were doing, he was a donor and so they were trying to keep his body going so they could do the, don the donor things. And... Um, I sat there and uh, we changed our clothes and we went and we spent hours at the hospital with the family and we watched his mother just weep and cry and weep and cry and, and she would just bury her head in our shoulder. I don't understand, I don't understand. And to this day, I don't, under I don't understand to this day. And uh, his sister said, I'll never serve God again. And, you know, they were going through uh, all of these types of things. I was a young pastor. I was about 26 years old at the time. And I didn't know what to do with these people. I didn't. I really didn't know what to do with them. So I just thought, well, I'll just hang out. Come to find out later in my training, that's exactly what I should have done, is just hang out. Just hang out. That family experienced untold grief. I'll never forget when that year ended, his mother looked at me one day and she said, I'm so glad that year's gone. It's the worst year I've ever had in my entire life. Grief is real. Loss is real. We all experience it. Now let me kind of go over just a little bit and talk to you uh, about the difference between grief and the spirit of grief. And there's a difference between grief and the spirit of grief. In the simplest way to put it is like this. Grief will help you, but the spirit of grief will incapacitate you. It's normal to cry when you have a loss. It's normal to feel pain. It's normal to go through the five steps that we're going to talk about today. It's normal to do those things. But it's not normal to be doing it two years later, three years later, five years later, ten years later. It's not normal for that to continue to incapacitate you. Now, you're going to be incapacitated in the very beginning. That's just normal. But if you allow it to continue, then we have to guard against the spirit of grief because the spirit of grief will stop us from receiving God's best for our life for the rest of our life. 
In Genesis chapter 50 verses 1 through 3, we find a place in Scripture where the Bible said that Joseph grieved when his father died. There are biblical examples of this. Joseph grieved when his father died. In fact, the Bible said that when they told Joseph that his father had died, Joseph fell on his father's face and kissed him. That's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 1. And then they spent 40 days, Joseph's Egyptians spent 40 days in the embalming process. This was something that they did for people that were kings back then. They embalm almost everybody today if they don't you know, go the cremation route. They embalm almost everyone. But back then it was just reserved for just very few people. And so they spent 40 days in the embalming process. And the Bible says there in verse number 3 that Joseph and the Egyptians mourned for Jacob for 70 days. They mourned for him for 70 days. But I want to submit to you that when the time of mourning was over, it was over. Jesus grieved. The Bible said in John chapter 11 verse 35, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, has two words. It says Jesus wept. And that's talking about what happened when Jesus found out that his friend Lazarus had died. The Bible said that Jesus, the Son of God, wept. And so he died at the loss of his friend Lazarus. In Luke chapter 13 and verse number 34, the Bible said that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Why did he weep over Jerusalem? Over something that he wanted to do for, for Jerusalem, but Jerusalem would not let him. So he wept a loss of something that they could have had had they listened to the Lord. Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killed the prophets and destoned them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen does gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. So Jesus was grieving over a move of God that could not come to Jerusalem because they would not accept the move of God. Now, I want to just kind of divert just a little bit here, and I don't want to go too far down this path because we have a lot of ground to cover today. But how many times has Jesus wept over us? How many times has God wanted to get things to us? How many times has Jesus wanted to get things? Some people say, well, you know, God can do anything. That's not true. That's not true. God needs us. God needs us. He created us with a will. He created us. God's not going to force you to live for Him. God's not going to force your family to live for Him. He's not going to force your daughter, your son, your mom, your dad, your uncle. Your... God's not going to force anyone to live for Him. He's not going to... You know why? Because he, he did that already and He called them angels. He created angels. He created seraphims. He created cherubims. The seraphims and the cherubims and the angels, they don't have a choice anymore whether they should serve the Lord or not. No, no. So let's talk about the five stages of grief. Now let me say this in, in, in the beginning here, okay? Uh, Rick Warren says there are six stages of grief. I was reading where there was another one, that, another person that said there are seven stages of grief. And just let me say this, there can be more than five stages. But there's a lady by the name of Elizabeth, a psychologist by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she has this model called the five stages of grief, and we're going to kind of go through them. And, and I found it very interesting. I found out that C.S. Lewis actually addressed every single one of these stages of grief in an attempt to try to explain how the grieving person was feeling. 
And so I went ahead and put those down too, and they're, they're going to be on the screen for you. And so, what, what, and, and the Bible has something to say about every one of these stages. And the point that I'm wanting to make today is simply this Jesus can heal your hurting heart. He can. And we're going to talk uh, today about a few things in every single one of these stages where we can see Jesus there trying to heal your hurting heart, okay? Number one, the first stage of grief is denial. Most of the time when a person experiences a loss, the first reaction to that loss is an utter refusal. They said this did not happen. There's absolutely no way that it really happened. Now, let me tell you something. It's very natural for you to feel that way. It's very natural for someone to experience that loss, to feel that way, to just kind of dismiss it, to try to ignore it, to try to act like it didn't happen until the reality of it set in. So God, I think God designed us this way to kind of buffer the pain a little as, as we recover. Most of the time, especially when it's the loss of a very close loved one, and especially if it was an unexpected loss, most of the time we just go into shock. Our body just goes into shock. We go into momentary shock. And at first, the very first thing we want to say is, no, there must be a, a mistake. Something had, there's absolutely no way that this is true. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. I call it the C.S. Lewis musings. Here's what he said. He said, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. So what do we do? What does the Word of God say that we should do during that time? In Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 17, the Word of God tells us, this, it says, A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. During the denial phase, we can physically feel the reality of this passage. If you have a really good friend and you're experiencing a loss, then that really good friend is not going to leave you alone. They're going to be there with you. They're going to help you. They're going to minister to you. They're going to try to help you and encourage you. And let me tell you something. And if, if you have a friend that goes through a loss, you need to be a good friend to that person. You need to be with that person. You need to help that person. Here's what the Word of God says. A friend loves at all times. In the denial phase, especially like even a divorce, I can't believe we're going to get a divorce. I can't believe he left me. I can't believe she left me. And you're experiencing the loss of all of those forever dreams. Maybe, maybe it's uh, young people getting divorced. And so you're experiencing, I mean, you had dreams of having children and then grandchildren. You're, you're thinking about Christmas and you're thinking about Thanksgiving and you're thinking about birthdays and you're thinking about all of these kinds of things. And then all of a sudden you get this paper and it says, I don't want you anymore. And your heart is ripped out of your chest. The first thing you want to do is say, no, 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 no. We can work through it. We can work through it. We can make, through it, make it through it. We've always made it through it. We've always been able to do that. But the paper comes anyway. Lean on your friends. The second phase, the second stage of, of grief is anger. Anger is normal. It's natural. It's, a, it's an emotional reaction for someone that's dealing with a loss. Everyone processes differently. God's Word gives us instruction concerning anger. God's Word does not say, do not be angry. 
In fact, the Word of God tells us right here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 26, it says, be angry, but don't sin. Be angry and sin not. Anger is a natural reaction to injustice. How did Vicky's picture get up there? That's not... <laughs> I'm so bad. C.S. Lewis, Lewis, trying to explain what a person is feeling through this anger, says this, I go to God when I'm in desperate need, when all other help is vain, and what do I find? A door slammed in my face, and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. So he's trying to explain this is how people feel in loss, in grief, when, when, they're, when they're angry. Well, the Bible said to be angry and sin not. So it's okay to be angry, but don't allow yourself to fly into a rage. When you're angry is when you can trip up with your mouth. So be very careful that you don't say hurtful things when you're angry that will create more problems later on down the road for you. Anger is natural and it's normal. Be angry and sin not. Then the third stage is bargaining. There is a natural tendency for us to try and bargain with God. Okay, God, well, if, well God, if you'll fix this, then I'll live for you the rest of my life. Liar, liar, pants on fire. If you were going to live for God the rest of your life, you would already be living for Him, right? for the rest of your life. And so you can't bargain with God. We know better, but we try to do it anyway. And there's just some things that happen in life that we don't have the answer for, like Richie. To this day, I don't know why Richie died. Richie had so much promise. He had so much potential. And I've preached about that boy for 25 years, almost 30 years now. I've pr- I don't understand why. And there are things in life that we're just not going to have the answer for. And during this time, we need to resist the temptation to blame God and we need to decide to trust Him instead. It's very easy to blame God for things that happen to us that we don't understand. Trusting God means trusting His process also. C.S. Lewis said it like this, trying to explain the person that's wanting to bargain with God. He said, I've gradually been coming to the feeling that the door is no longer shut and bolted. Remember when he was angry, he felt like it was slammed in his face and shut and bolted and then total silence. Here's what he said. A person will get to the point where they've gradually been coming to the feeling that the door is no longer shut and bolted. And then you start trying to think through bargaining. Was it my own frantic need that slammed that door in my face? Or was it God? Or was it my need? The time when there's nothing at all in your soul except a cry for help may be just the time when God can't give it. How come? Because you're like a drowning man who can't be helped because you clutch and you grab and and your reiterated cries are deafening you to the voice of God. You can't hear God for the feelings and the emotions that you're having towards God. And so you can't hear God. And so the voice that you're trying to hear, you can't hear because of fear. First Peter chapter 5, verses 6-7 through seven says this, We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that He can exalt us in due time. And then verse 7, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says that we are to cast all of our care upon Him, for He cares 
for you. So in that time when we are tempted to try to bargain with God, and it's natural and it's normal and you're going to do it, but there'll come a time when you're transitioning out of that. There'll come a time when you realize, you know, I just need to cast my care upon the Lord. So the first stage is denial. And these, by the way, are not in chronological order. They can come back and you can revisit some of them. But the first one is denial. The second one is anger. The third one is bargaining. The fourth one, after the bargaining, and you realize it, even if I do bargain, it's not going to do any good. It's not going to bring back my leg. It's not going to bring back this job. It's not going to bring back the lost, uh, the lost uh, loved one. It's not going to bring back those things. And so when all of the reality of all of that begins to settle, in, then a lot of times depression settles in. Let me tell you something. Depression and feelings of despair are very real, church. Amen. They're very real. There are people, and never mock somebody when they are going through depression. Never say things like, well, you just need to get over it. Don't do things like depression and feelings of despair are very real. When the reality of that loss sets in, sometimes there's a numbness that follows. Simple tasks seem large. You know they're in depression when you try to start a fight with them and they won't even fight because fighting takes too much energy. And if they fought and won, what would it matter anyway? Depression. Depression. So here's the thing you need to remember is don't try to go it alone, especially when you're going through depression. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in that time of need. C.S. Lewis explained to a person going through depression what may be going through their mind. He said, Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God anymore, the real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not that there's no God after all, but that this is what God is really like. And so he's, but you can see the natural progression of healing. You can see it as, as it grows and grows and grows from the denial uh, to the anger, to the bargaining, to the depression. And now all of a sudden the door's not bolted anymore and, and the door's open. And now he's beginning to say, you know, I do believe, I, I think there's a God, but maybe he's just different than what I thought that he was. And, and let me tell you something. My wife can tell you from experience, Jesus can help you through depression. He can help you through depression. Depression can be uh, psychological in nature and it can be clinical in nature, but there's also a spirit that can come with depression. And if we don't watch it, that spirit will grab a hold of us and incapacitate us and make it to where we can't move on with our life. So we have to fight against uh, a depression. David made this statement. He said, I encouraged myself in the Lord. Let me tell you something. I love you. I'm your pastor. I've been your pastor for eight and a half years. I have no intention of going anywhere. I'm planning on being here until the Lord says something otherwise. And I don't foresee him saying anything otherwise for a really long time. But there are some times that I just can't be by your bedside to pray for you. As much as I love you. And there are times when you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. There's times when you have to bend over, pull your boots back on, and say, you know what? We're going to walk out of this thing. We're not going to let it 
beat us down anymore. We're not going to let it destroy us anymore. We're not going to let it defeat us anymore. We're going to walk out of this thing. And then the fifth and final area is acceptance. The signs of acceptance. Now listen to me very carefully. If you don't get anything else I say, you need to get this today. The signs of acceptance are not a person saying, I'm just moving on. What do you mean by that? Your life will forever be marked by that loss. Forever. Forever. You can't just move on, but you can move forward. Well, how can I move forward? If I can't just move on, how can I move forward? You have to adjust to the new normal that's in your life. Your life's changed. If you've been married and now you're divorced... You can't just act like you were never married. It's, it's not going to happen. There is a relationship that took up a part of your life that has forever marked your life. And so you need to own that. You need to own that. You need to understand that. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, people are thinking, you know, when they start to move on with, through acceptance and whatnot, he said, they're thinking, you know, getting over it so, so soon. But the words are ambiguous. To say the patient is getting over it after an operation for appendicitis is one thing, but when they've had their leg taken off, it's quite another. So it's not fair to the person, and it's not accurate to try to help someone who's suffering from grief and loss and trying to, to, to uh, move forward in their life, it's not helpful for you to look at them and say, you know, you just need to move on. And we hear that a lot when it comes to things like broken relationships. Well, you just need to move on. Now, I know that your intentions are wonderful and they're great, but that's a very insensitive thing to say because this person laid their heart out, exposed their heart to that other person, and they were taken advantage of. So we don't want to be insensitive, do we? We don't want to do that. So here's what the Word of God says. God was speaking to Joshua. Here's what He said in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. He said, Now after the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake to Joshua, the son of Moses, minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. That's what he said. Therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. So what God was saying was, Moses is dead, Joshua. I have to do a new thing for this nation. And I choose you, Joshua, and you go forward and do what I tell you to do, and you do what I command you to do. And so Joshua had to rely upon the Lord to develop inside of him a new normal, and the nation of Israel had to adjust to a new leader and they had to adjust to a new normal. And let me tell you something. The new you can be wiser. The new you can be stronger. The new you can be more resilient. And the new you will, and I'll tell you from experience, will definitely be more thankful for the simple things in life. 
So surrender to that and say, Lord, you know what? I don't think I can necessarily move on. I just have to adjust and move forward. And Lord, from this day forward, Lord, I'm just going to be a little stronger. I'm going to be a little wiser. I'm going to be more resilient. I'm going to be more thankful. And I want to encourage you because you need to move forward. This is the new you. I want to encourage you to remember the good and dismiss the bad. Especially when it comes to a broken relationship, a divorce or something like that. There are good times that you had. You need to remember the good and dismiss the bad. Because your future is not, is, is not based upon your past. Your future is based upon the vision that God has given you and the purpose that God has put inside of you. You say, well, you know, we were planning on doing this together and we were planning on doing that together and now she's not here anymore or he's not here anymore. Well, God's still there. God's still there. He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And God can have a plan for your life minus that rascal that you've called a spouse. God can have a plan for your life. He can have a plan for your life. So remember the good, dismiss the bad, forgive and be whole again. Forgive and be whole again. Now, I just feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say this. I'm going to go ahead and just kind of go down this track for just a moment. There are times when God works restoration in relationships. Amen. And so you're with that spouse there's been something that's happened maybe that's caused distrust. Something that's happened maybe a betrayal or something like that. But you have chosen to try to make it work. And so the moment you said, okay, we're going to give this another try, is the moment that you have to say, all right, we're going to make a valiant effort forward. Now, it's very wrong for the person who did the failure to expect the person who was failed to treat them like they did before. I had a situation in my second church. Uh, they may watch, somebody may watch this someday, but I, so I'm not going to say too much of, as to, to give it away. But the bottom line was she found out that her husband had been unfaithful to her and she decided that she wanted to go ahead and try to make it work and he was a route man and as we got into it and we started working on it, we found out that he had been unfaithful not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times, not seven times, but with eight different women. There was a part of me, of course I couldn't say it, but there was a part of me that wanted to say dump him. But she looked around at the life that they were enjoying together and the children that would be affected and all of that. And she said, you know, I want to make this work. And so over the next few weeks, he kept coming to me. I don't see why my wife is treating me this way. She's distant. She won't let me. She's really interested in trying to make this work. Why she won't even let me touch her. I, I looked at him. I, I got a little ornery. I looked at him. I said, did you go get an AIDS test? or a sexually transmitted disease test or something like that. And somebody's like, oh, I can't believe you. Well, no, no listen, he'd been with eight different people. And so, 
you know? And so, and so he's like, well, blah, 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 blah. I said, listen, here's what you need to understand. I said, you've been living with this for a long time and with the guilt of all of this for a really long time. And for you, it's old news. I said, for her, she found out two weeks ago. I said, she's in shock. She's in denial. She's hurting. She's wounded. And so here's the point that I feel like the Holy Spirit wanted me to kind of try to make here is we got to be very careful when, uh, you know, when something like this is going on because we need to understand that if there's been something that's happened as a betrayal or a distrust in a, in a, a relationship like that, we can't go back and say, okay, well, will you forgive me? Yes, I'll forgive you. Okay, let's just pick up and go on and expect things to be the same. No, 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 no. There's been a loss of, a loss of trust. Your relationship, the relationship that you had is over, baby. It's dead. You have to start a brand new relationship. That means you have to start rebuilding trust. That means you have to work through different things, uh, work through uh, different challenges and whatnot. So I felt like I needed to say that. But forgive and be whole and be at peace. Now, I'm running out of time here, but um, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians. I want to give you a few more scriptures. So that's the, the five stages of grief there. Um, You've got denial and anger and bargaining and depression and acceptance. Now, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, Jesus can bring you comfort. Jesus can help you when there's a loss. He can help you when there's a difficult time. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 11 says this. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God is the God of all comfort. Who comforteth us. Somebody say comfort. comfort. Just has a warm fuzzy feeling doesn't it when we say that. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. So God comforts us and as a result of that, we can comfort other people. That, and, and then the Bible said that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So we take the comfort that God has given us and we use that and we pay it forward. And we try to comfort other people, other people. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Consolation comes from the word console. So we're consoled by Christ. And whether we're afflicted, it's for our consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for our Consolation or being consoled and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings of Christ, so shall ye be also of the comfort of Christ, the consolation. So we may be a partaker of the sufferings of Christ, but we're also a partaker of the comfort of Christ. And when the Bible talks about us being a partaker of the sufferings of Christ, that's, that's talking about us being in partnership with Him concerning His sufferings. It doesn't mean that we have to go and be crucified, no. It means we make ourselves available for what that crucifixion paid for. 
for what Calvary paid for. And so in the midst of all of this, God is saying, I want to comfort you and I want you to take that comfort and I want you to comfort other people. So in other words, I'm going to minister to you and you minister to other people. And then he said, be a partaker, not only of my sufferings, but also be a partaker or receive the consoling of my spirit or consolation or comfort. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant, that means unlearned of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead." They were comforted in the fact that even if they died before their job was complete, before their assignment from God was complete, they were comforted by the fact that God could raise them up from the dead. First of all, because they had seen Jesus raise the dead. And secondly, because the Bible said, if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will also quicken your mortal body. What does he quicken your mortal body with? With life. Here's the point that I want to make. God is not going to let you check out until He's finished with you. Some people say, are you afraid to go over into these other countries where they persecute people for the sake of the ministry? And I said, no, I'm not afraid to go at all. And they said, how come? I said, because my assignment's not up. Because my assignment is not up. So then we go on. Who delivereth us from so great a death and doth deliver us in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Verse 11. Ye also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons thanks may be given to many on our behalf. So we see that God is the God of comfort. We see that He gives us comfort. We see that He wants to pour comfort through us. And we see that He asks us to constantly be recipients of the comfort, the grace of God's comfort. So what are some of the benefits of grief? Grief brings wisdom. Ephesians chapter 7 and verse 4 says, The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the house of the fools is in the house of myrrh. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. So grief brings wisdom. God is near us during times of grief. Psalms 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and He is a very present help in the time of trouble. Psalms chapter 147 verse number 3 says this. He heals the broken in heart and He binds up their wounds. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4, the Bible said, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall receive comfort. And then Isaiah 53 and verse number 3, Jesus experienced grief. He did. Isaiah 53 and verse 3, the Bible said, He was despised and rejected of men. Now listen to this. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from Him. And it goes on to say, Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we're healed. We're healed. Jesus can heal your grieving spirit. Jesus can touch your sorrowful heart. God uses... Us to help each other. 
Look at the people around you right now. God uses you to help them. And God uses them to help you. You may ask, Pastor, how can I help someone who is grieving? In ministry training, way before chaplaincy training, I heard this phrase a lot. It's called the ministry of presence. A lot of chaplaincy trainings teach that. Not just the IFOC. A lot of them teach that. In ministry training, we're taught that phrase, the ministry of presence. How can you help someone who is grieving? By being there. And let me tell you something. I want to give you a few tips and then we're closing this message. But I want to give you a few tips. Number one, don't try to fix something that can't be fixed. Men are fixers. Donna used to run a mortgage company and she would come home. And as soon as she got home, sometimes before she got home, you know, on the little phone, you know what they did? You know what they said? Well, by the time she got home, I was ready to get in the car and go take care of the problem. I mean, seriously, you know? And she would just go on and on and on and on. And I would say, you know what? I'm going to go talk to them and I'm gonna, we're going to handle this situation. Would you just be quiet? I don't need you to do anything. I just want you to listen. <laughs> Finally, one day I looked at her, I said, you realize I'm a problem solver, right? You realize I fix things. So you tell me all this stuff, I just want to go fix it so you're not all the way home tomorrow. <laughs> Don't try to fix something that can't be fixed. Just be there. Listen and minister to the physical needs. Sometimes the best thing you can do is give them a glass of water. Here, you need some water. I want to get you some water. Sometimes people that are going through grief and loss just need someone to do the dishes or sweep the floor or straighten up their house. Sometimes they may need you to help them with the laundry. Sometimes they might need to just let you sit there and, and you need to just sit there and not say anything. And there's some in here that they like to do all the talking, you know, but there's times when we need to just kind of and just let others do the talking. And sometimes we need to just sit there and just listen and let them talk. Well, they're just rambling. They're healing. Let them ramble. They're healing. Just, just listen to them. Just listen to them. And for goodness sakes, in the midst of grief and loss, don't start acting foolish and cracking jokes and laughing too loud and all of these kinds of things. It's okay to have a little bit of levity, but be respectful. Be respectful. And then last of all, pray for them, if appropriate, and with them, if they'll let you. Always pray for them but pray with them only if they let you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come, Charles. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus can relate, and Jesus cares. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a few moments here. Lord, Lord God, I thank you that you're the mender of broken hearts. I know there are people here today, Father, 
that are in pain. Emotional pain. I know there are others that are watching this and that will watch it later who are experiencing this emotional pain. I'm going to ask you, God, to move into these broken places and bring healing and hope and resolve. God, I don't know where everyone is in these different stages. Some may still be in denial. Some may be in anger. Maybe bargaining, depression. Maybe they're on the brink of acceptance. I don't know exactly where they are, but God, you do. And you can heal us where we hurt. So, Lord, I pray over this congregation that you would move on them right now. Every wound binded up. I pray that you would bring joy. The joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Bring joy to them, Lord. In Jesus' name. Let them sense the tangibleness of your presence. Let them know that you're here. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking except me. Because I want to know who I'm praying with. First of all, you say to me, Pastor Jonathan, I don't know Jesus as my personal Savior. And, you know, I've realized that I need to accept him into my heart and into my life. And if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now and put it right back down? I just want to know who I'm praying with. Okay? I saw three hands. So anyone else? Anyone else? Those that are watching on live stream from around the world, you can just send us an email or respond on a social media site or something. If you raised your hand to give your life to Christ, I want to pray with you right now. Just You have to mean this from your heart now. You need to pray something similar to this. This is what we call the sinner's prayer. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. I want to be a Christian. I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died on Calvary for me. And today, I receive you as my Savior and as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, while heads remain bowed, and no one's looking around except me and the Lord. You say, Pastor, this message has hit home with me. I'm going through some loss. I'm going through some grief. I need healing today. Can I see your hand? Hands going up everywhere. You can put your hands back down. I want you to know that Jesus saw your hand. He knows what you're going through. He said, I'll never leave you or ever forsake you. Now, Father, you saw these hands that went up. 
Father, I pray that you would minister to them. By faith, they raised their hand, indicating that they needed your help. And Father, I believe that opened a door into their soul, their mind, their will, their emotions. I pray that you would move in there and work healing right now. And Lord, let it continue to work throughout this week. I pray for peace. I pray for restoration. I pray for joy, unspeakable and full of glory. I pray for acceptance, Lord. I pray for that, God, over them right now in Jesus' name. That they would walk with a sense of wholeness because, God, you take broken pieces and put them back together and make us whole again. Thank you for the times that you have taken my broken heart and my broken emotions and my broken life and put it back together. And now, God, I pray you'd do the same for those that raise their hands today. We rely upon you. You are our hope. You're our peace, our Savior and our Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.